Everyone doing okay this morning? Good? Hey, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. So, yeah. Okay, guys, so got a lot of ground to cover today. We got a lot going on, um, a lot of text um, that I'm going to read today and break down. So I won't waste much time here at the beginning before we just jump into this, because again, we, we do have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, I do want to tell you uh, just something, it's just how lame my life is. Um, so I've been, I've been um, kind of avoiding going to Old Navy. I don't know why. I just, the older I get, the more like, I just don't like big crowded places anymore. It's ironic when you pastor a big church and that's how you feel. But uh, so I needed new flip-flops because I wear them out and I've been putting off going. I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of highfalutin. So I go and pay $3 for a pair of flip-flops at Old Navy. And, uh, but I haven't been able to go by there but I really needed some flip-flops. And one day I was driving home a couple of days ago, and, and, and listen, don't judge me on this. I'm not trying to sound like a, a snob. I'm not a Walmart guy. I just don't like going into Walmart. Here, now listen, it's not because of the people. It's, not because, it's because if I need something, it's always in the back corner, three miles in the back, right? And then you get that one item and you go up to the front, and I don't understand this, why there are 65 lanes, but none of them are open. And, and that confuses me and bothers me, right? And kind of makes me angry. And I have to stand behind people who have like four carts, you know, just like full of stuff. And I'm like, why is there 75 lanes and just this one is open? So uh, that bothers me. So I try to avoid Walmart. But I was like, I'm going to go in. And I usually go in through the secret entrance of Walmart. Are you guys familiar with that, where all the plants are? You go in there. You, don't, you know, it's like, I, I, I feel like I've cracked a code, you know? So... Uh, but now because of COVID, even the secret entrance is closed. So I'm like, ah, I got to go through the normal entrance and went in there. I went back to the, uh, to the flip-flop section. And I'll be honest with you, I was expecting like to find some pretty epic flip-flops, like with like wolves on them or something, but they didn't have anything. And uh, <laughs> all they had was black. But here's the thing, they're 98 cents. I did. And I was like... <laughs> I got every size 12 they had, you know? And then because I saved so much on my 98-cent flip-flops, I turned around and they had five 98 flip-flops, but they had flamingos on them. I'm like, I'm gonna grab one of those too. So I grabbed that one too. <laughs> Went home and my wife's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, they were 98 cents. And um, the flamingo ones are just awesome. It's everything you'd expect them to be. But... Uh, <laughs> So that's my life. Hope you guys are doing well. So that's how far I've digressed in all this time. But I do need to wear them with my pineapple shorts. Uh, okay, we need to stop. I need to get into the Word. All right, okay. We could do this all morning. So we have been in the book of Matthew. If you're not familiar with the book of Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament. So the Bible is divided into an Old Testament and a New Testament. We're in the first book of what is called the New Testament. And We've been in it for a while. We're in chapter 13. We did half of it last week. We're going to finish up the other half this week. It's a long chapter, though. And where we're at in the book of Matthew, Jesus is teaching differently than he has taught before. And what he's doing is he is using a method of teaching called parables. 
And all parables are, are extremely simple, short stories that kind of teach us something that we're unfamiliar with. So it uses a very familiar analogy to teach us about something that is very unfamiliar. But it's so simple that, that even a child can understand it, right? And Jesus did that on purpose. One of the, the, the first, or the first parable that we get to read in the Bible is in the beginning of Matthew chapter 13. Very simple, about a farmer that has seed, he throws out the seed. There's four different kinds of soil. Three of them, uh, well, one of them rejects the seed. Two of them accept it for a little bit, but then eventually the plant withers away and dies. And then the last soil accepts the seed and something grows, right? So we asked ourselves last week from this very simple parable, are we good soil, right? Are we the ones that accept the seed, which is the message, the gospel, right, of Jesus Christ, and does something bloom up out of us, right? The fruit of the Spirit, does it come up from us? Very simple. This week, we're gonna cover a bunch of parables, right? Some of them very short, like when I say short, like two sentences short. Some of them are very, very short. But they all kind of have a common theme, and this is gonna be the common theme of the majority of the parables we're gonna cover in the second half of chapter 13. First is, what value do we place on knowing God? Not just saying we're a Christian. How important is it to us to understand where we came from, where we're going, who our creator is, and what our relationship with our creator is, right? How valuable is that to us? The second question, we already know the answer to this, is does everyone respond the same to the gospel? We know the answer is no, right? But we're gonna look at why people respond differently, how people respond differently, right? So we're gonna talk about that a little bit today as well. Okay, so guys, listen, I, I feel like maybe until we get back to normal, whatever that looks like, whenever that's going to happen, I'm gonna have to throw out this disclaimer, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I'm sincere with it. I'm gonna get very passionate up here this morning because I think the scripture just kind of calls for it, and, and it's not an attack on you. It's, it's, it's such an interesting thing where I'm struggling right now is I get up here, I get so heated, I get so frustrated because it feels like the world's falling apart, but you're the ones who are here, right? So that means you guys are the ones moving in the right direction. So please don't take it like I'm attacking you. I'm just trying to speak these things that I feel like God has given me. And it may not even be for you. It may be for someone that watches this video live or watches it on the other side of the country. It may be for someone later, who, who knows? But please be, be gracious with me today, okay? Because I'm just gonna, a lot's gonna come out, okay? So, all right, if you have a Bible, we're in the book of Matthew, the 13th chapter. Um, we're not giving out handouts, you know, because we can't right now. Um, if you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, everything will be on that. Click on service times, sermon notes, and you should be good to go, okay? Let me pray, all right? I'm already running a little bit behind, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. God, I just wanna tell you thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for everyone that's in this room this morning. God, it's nice to have people in the room. Thank you, Lord, for all the people watching right now that maybe couldn't make it or maybe that uh, uh, they're in a place to where uh, it's not safe for them to come. Father, Lord, I pray that you keep your hand on our church, Lord. I'm talking about this church in particular, God. Keep your hand on us, Lord. Lead us, guide us, direct us. We also pray for every church in our community, Lord. We pray for my friend Brady Cooper over at New Vision and David Young over at North Boulevard and Pastor Allen and all the other pastors in this community, God. We pray for them, Lord, that you bless them and take care of them and lead them, God. We pray for Portico this morning. 
great nonprofit that does amazing things for your kingdom, God, that you would bless them. We pray that everything we do today, God, that it honors you and that it, it, it sharpens us, Lord, and edifies us, God. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start in verse 24. Almost everything I'm going to read today is straight from the mouth of Jesus, okay? Matthew writes, he presented another parable to them. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up, the servants asked? No, he said. If you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, tie them in a bundle to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. So what is this about? This is about coexisting, right? So Matthew introduces us to the second parable about weeds and wheat. And this first parable is gonna kind of address two big questions that I would imagine most of us in this room have asked at one time or another. The first one is, why do believers have to live amongst evil in the world, right? Why do we have to live with evil around us? And I think it's very apparent that there's a lot of evil around us. The second question builds off the first one. God, are you ever going to bring evil to justice? Is there going to be justice for the oppressed? And again, I think it's safe to say that all of us have at the very least thought these questions before. So this, this theme of sowing, Jesus uses a lot of agricultural analogies, right? So the, the second parable kind of builds off the first one. A farmer throws down seed. Now in the second parable, we're seeing what happened when the seed catches root and grows up. And what we learn is, is that we can't really tell how healthy a plant is until it kind of grows up a little bit. We can't tell if it's good or bad. So in our lives, and guys, we're not talking about plants, we're talking about people, right? So in our lives, sometimes it is very difficult to discern, is that person a good person or is that person a bad person? And though we can make judgments, right? We can say, well, they do these things, they act this way, they speak this way, but we can be deceived by people. There's a lot of people that appear to be good, but there's really a lot of evil in their hearts. And we have to know that God sees past all of the facade and he knows the true nature of mankind and individuals. Therefore, he is the ultimate judge of who is good and who is evil. So I don't need to clarify this parable because Jesus is gonna do a much better job here in just a couple of minutes. He's gonna explain the whole parable. But here's the overall premise of this first parable. There's a farmer, and he had his crops infiltrated by an enemy. So a farmer did his job. He threw out good seed, right? But in the middle of the night, an enemy came and planted a bunch of weeds. And the farmer says that the weeds and the wheat have to exist together because if you pull up all the weeds, it's gonna uproot the weed as well. That's the parable, right? Right? 
Very, very simple. And we'll go back to that parable here in a minute. Here's the next two. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. So now we have this couplet of very, very short parables, right? They're very, very short. And they deal with these two questions, right? You have small things that end up turning into something big, right? Or something that changes everything. Now, why mustard seeds and why talking about yeast or leaven? Because these two short parables address these questions. And it's talking about Christianity is what these parables are talking about. It's talking about how can this huge movement, it's, you know, it's not a huge movement when Jesus is talking right here, but it's going to turn into the biggest religious movement that has ever happened. How in the world is that going to start from a group of uneducated men, right? So how are these small guys, right? They're not big deals. They're not well-known. They're not the best looking or most intelligent. How is this ragtag group of guys going to be the foundation for the largest religious movement that has ever taken place. And then the second question, which is similar, is how is Christianity going to be the catalyst to help save people's souls, right? Because if you look around the room, if you know a lot of us, man, we're a lot like the disciples. We're broken. We're messed up. We don't know a lot. You know, like, like we're just kind of a ragtag group as well. So how is God going to use people like us to be the catalyst to change the world. That's what these parables are talking about. And Jesus' point was this. Appearances can be deceiving, right? So just like it looks like something on the outside doesn't mean the inside matches. And a mustard seed is a great example of that, right? I've, I've seen a lot of mustard seeds. I may have Walmart flip-flops, but I like gray poupon, you know, and you see the little seeds that are in there. See, mixture, right? So you see the little seeds in there. Very, very small. And Jesus is saying that very small seed, which would have been one of the smallest in this culture at the time, eventually grows into the, the, the biggest plant in the garden. So big that birds can make nests and, and live in this tree. So it's a very simple analogy that a small seed can become this huge tree. That means that it doesn't matter who we are, what we've done, the mistakes we've made, the past we have. If we will let God use us, he can make something great out of us. It's very, very simple. Very simple stuff. That if we are cultivated well, right? If we're watered, if we're fed, that even the smallest seed can turn into something pretty substantial. That's very encouraging, and so the yeast one is similar to the, to the mustard seed one. And so if you take, I don't know anything about making bread. 50 pounds sounds like a pretty big loaf though. But anyways, so if you're making all this bread and you add the yeast into it, the leaven or the yeast changes the chemistry of the bread. It changes the shape of it. It changes how it, 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 it bakes. It changes everything about it. And the reason why that parable is so important is the Holy Spirit is the exact same in our lives. That if the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart, right? The Spirit of God lives in our heart. It changes how we speak. It changes how we 
act. It changes how we engage other people. It changes how we work. It changes everything about us. The problem, though, is in our society, we've gotten it backwards. We don't start at the heart and work out. We start at the outside and try to go in. And that's not the way Jesus did things. So we do it a lot of times the opposite of how Jesus did it. Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God and Christianity throughout the last 2,000 years, right, has always been something that's kind of been under the radar. And it was in the 1980s when, you guys are going to hate this, when the church got way too political and involved way too much in the political scene that we kind of made it this, this thing that it wasn't supposed to be that we started to degrade and go down a bad path. And so Christianity has been something under the radar, And Jesus didn't come. Listen, Jesus knew that politicians would not save the world. That's why Jesus didn't come as a politician. Jesus knew that it wasn't going to be military leaders that changed the world. It was going to be a change of the heart. So Christ came not to take over governmental positions or military positions. Jesus came to touch the hearts of man. And let me tell you something. We can vote whoever you want into office. We can set every single law you want to do. We can conquer every nation, build every wall. But until the hearts of man changes, nothing will really change. Nothing. And we get the cart before the horse, right? That's what we do. But Jesus was all about the heart. He was all about the heart. Until this changes, right? Nothing else changes. Next part. So Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and he did not tell them anything without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet may be fulfilled. I think David wrote this. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds, and he went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He replied, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and who are guilty of lawlessness. That's interesting. They will throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdoms, Let anyone who has ears listen. So going back to the reason why Jesus used parables in the first place, the point of the parables were to tell truths about the kingdom of God and God, right? That were not stated earlier on in the Bible, but when he stated them, they were so easy that anyone could understand them, right? Anyone could understand them as long as they wanted to understand them. I'll get to that more. So Jesus interprets the the weed and the wheat parable. So the central theme is that Christians must patiently persevere while evil exists in this world. 
The other theme is, is that though it seems like evil goes completely unchecked, right? There will come a time where Jesus will judge all evil. So here's the thing. If you notice, Jesus told the parable to a bunch of people and it was the disciples who went back to him later and said, tell me more, right? Help me understand. Share with me the meaning of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. What that tells us is this, guys, and this is gonna sound so offensive and I don't mean it to. Unless we are going to Jesus asking for more clarity, which means reading the word of God and praying, if we are not doing those things, we're probably not a real disciple of Jesus. Real disciples of Jesus asked questions, they read, they wanted to know more, they wanted to go deeper. And if we find ourselves not doing those things, we're probably not followers of Jesus. So Jesus explains the parable of the sower. So right, so he was the sower, he's the one throwing out the seed. The good seed represents the followers of Jesus. The field is humanity or the earth, right? Satan is the one that comes in and throws down uh, weeds, right? Seeds that, that turn into weeds. And those are people that choose not to follow Jesus. He also explains this, and this is where it gets uncomfortable, right? That one day at the end of the age, Jesus is going to send out angels. They're going to gather the evil people of the world and cast them into a fire, right? To be burned. These are things we don't like to talk about. In fact, this parable of the weeds and the wheat brings up a lot of uncomfortable things that we don't like to talk about. The first one is, is that we're going to live amongst evil. The only time that evil will not exist on planet earth is when Jesus wipes away the old earth and creates a new one. That's it. Until Jesus Christ cracks open the eastern sky and comes back, there will always be evil on planet earth. It's a hard fact, but it's a fact nonetheless. We also learn that Satan is active, he is powerful, and he is persuasive. The devil is not like the movies, guys. He doesn't like kick down the door and just breathe fire, and he's got like 10-foot horns, and he's scary looking. No, no, no. It says in Genesis chapter 3, the devil is subtle. The devil creeps in, right? It's that attractive woman that tries to convince you to cheat on your husband, right? Or cheat on your wife. Sorry. Nowadays, it, you know, anyways. So, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> we also learn that evil will be eternally punished. Now, here's the thing about evil, guys. When we read the Bible, a lot of us are like, man, there's a lot of evil out there. So the point of the gospel is not for us to identify everyone else as evil. The point of the gospel is for us to address the, uh, the, the evil that is inside of us. And so we often look at other people. Jesus said this, you're trying to pick splinters out of everyone's eye and you got a plank of wood in your own eye. Deal with that. So we often talk about evil being dealt with like we've never done anything wrong. But if we have unaddressed evil in our own hearts, it's gonna get dealt with too. So evil will be dealt with Here's a positive thing. Righteousness will be rewarded. Here's the thing, though, is, is a lot of deeper questions even arise from this, like, do we even care to know what evil is, right? Do we care to know what the Bible says is right and what is wrong? Do we care to go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, and read the list that Paul wrote of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
There are certain sins on that where we point out and they're like, yeah, that's right. Those people aren't gonna get to heaven. But then it says things like gossipers and slanderers. Uh-oh, right? Then it says things like drunks and fornicators. Uh-oh. And then we start seeing things within our own lives are illuminated and, and the Bible says, if you continue to do these things, you will not share eternity with Jesus Christ. Do we care to know what the Bible calls right and wrong? Do we believe in an invisible war, right? Do we believe what the Bible says that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual darkness? Do we believe that? And if we say we do, why don't we pray more? We'll have a worship night on the square and have 7,000 people easy. If I open up this sanctuary and try to get five people an hour to pray, it's like a ghost town. I believe in a spiritual war. You're not fighting it. Do we believe in prayer? Are we prepared? Are we prepared to go out into the darkness and engage it? Are we prepared for that? Keep moving on. So we have to go back to the desire. Jesus concludes this part that I just read with, let anyone who has ears listen. Jesus says that a lot in the Bible. What that means is this, our understanding of truth the changing of our hearts, the changing of our minds, salvation, all of it is contingent on desire. You have to want to change. You have to want to think differently. You have to want to have Jesus save you. You, you have to want to have Jesus sanctify you. That means set you apart to be used for his kingdom. You have to have a desire for those things. And we'll get back to that a little bit later. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown out into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into containers, but threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, they'll separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, have you understood these things? And they answered, yes. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures, both new and old. So, these really short parables, one about a hidden treasure, one about a, a priceless pearl or the pearl of great price as it's often called. This demonstrates the, the value of having a relationship with God, right? The value of being part of the family of God, the church, Christianity, right? It's what it's talking about. Here's the thing. There's a lot of things that are important about having a relationship with God, but one of the biggest ones is fulfillment, we have a whole generation of people right now trying to be fulfilled 
coming up empty all the time because the only thing that can fulfill us is to find our true identity. And the only thing we are made in the image of is God. We're not made in the image of money. We're not made in the image of sex. We're not made in the image of politics. We are made in the image of God. That's why Christ is the only thing that fulfills us. So Christ fulfills us and the church encourages us until he comes back. Now, if you're in this or you're in this room or you're watching online right now, being a Christian is not easy. It's exceptionally difficult. I would say some of us are even feeling how difficult that is right now. It is very difficult. God demands much out of us, but the good thing is, is God gives us so much more in return, right? Does he demand much? Yes, but he gives much, much, much more. And here's the thing about the kingdom of God. Here's the thing about about eternity. Here's the thing about having a relationship with him is if we are going to own the pearl, if we are going to own the treasure, we have to own all of it. Look at what Jesus says. He says, the man that found the treasure sold everything to buy that. The man that found the pearl sold everything to get that. He was willing to give everything up. So to inherit the kingdom of God, all of us in this room have to be willing to give everything else up. We may not have to, but we have to be willing to if push were to come to shove. What that means is this. If we're going to inherit the kingdom of God, in fact, the book of Revelation says this at the very end, we must accept everything that this word says. Not just the parts that are comfortable, not just the parts that already affirm what I believe and think, all of it, regardless of what we think we know and regardless of how we feel. That means that we must be humble. That means that there's going to be sacrifice. That means there's going to be hardship. It may even mean that there's going to be persecution. And if we're going to own the kingdom of God, we have to own those things as well until we're in eternity with Jesus Christ. So the parable of the net is like the parable of the wheat and the weeds. A bunch of fishermen throw out a huge net. They pull it all in. Some of the fish are good. Some of the fish are not good. And so Jesus was much like the fishermen that threw out the net. So we're, our church right now is at about quarter capacity, right? But typically this service, the nine o'clock, is typically our biggest service. And when everything was kind of full throttle and, and normal, whatever that was, we would have about 1,200 people just at, at this service, right? Just at the nine o'clock. We don't have that many right now. But just like when Jesus would speak to large crowds, you'd have the faithful, but you also had that were faithless, a lot of them that were there just because it felt good for a moment, right? Or they were there just because they had to be or their, their you know, wife drug them to church that day or whatever the case may be. But here's the thing about the kingdom of God. At the end of the age, right, when he comes back, we're not gonna be able to have fooled him. He's gonna know which ones are good and which ones are not good. And the tests and trials of life, ladies and gentlemen, we may be seeing it right now. We're seeing a refinement right now. We're seeing people who weren't as faithful as we thought they were drift off, right? My God, it's like Moses in the Bible. If you guys ever heard the story, right? It's amazing. We have only been out of church for a couple of months, right? And now we're just kind of getting back, sort of. But you wouldn't believe how many people have fell away from their faith. And we go back into the Bible, people haven't changed much. Moses is walking with all the people of God through the desert, right? They stop and Moses goes, okay, look, I'm only going to be gone a couple of days. I'm going to go up this mountain. I'm going to get the Ten Commandments. I'm going to come back down. Just chill for a second. He goes up, 
comes back down. Everyone has melted down their earrings into a football-sized cow, and they're worshiping it. And Moses is like, what the heck? I haven't even been gone that long. And people haven't, we, we listen to that story and we're like, they were crazy. We do the same thing today. Church closes its doors for a couple of months and everyone runs amok. Everyone goes insane. People haven't changed much. And the tests and the trials of life are starting to really kind of sift out. What is wheat and what is weeds? So at the end of this part that I just read, after his disciples were standing there with him, Jesus said, do you understand? Listen, these weren't like PhD scholars, right? These were fishermen. These were pretty normal, average Joes. Jesus said, do you understand? And they said, yes, we get it. And then Jesus restates something similar to what he said in chapter 12. He said, all of you are storehouses and you all have a storeroom, which means we either put good things into this or we put bad things into this. And if we put good things into it, we can pull out good things. But if we only put bad in there, we can only pull out bad things. That means what we invest in shapes how we live, and it even shapes our eternity. And it goes back to the question of, what are we willing to give up in order to inherit the treasure, right? The kingdom of God. Jesus also says, that there are treasures both new and old. There are a lot of Christians, unfortunately, who don't think the Old Testament is important. I've even heard a lot of Christians say, I don't see any grace in the Old Testament. I'm like, what? If I was God, I would have wiped out humanity 14 times. If you go back through the Old Testament, we are awful. There's so much grace in the Old Testament. There's so much rich history. There's so many rich lessons from the Old Testament. Old Testament is awesome. Now we live in a new promise, right? We don't follow all of the things of the Old Testament. Thank God we can eat shrimp and cut our beards, right? So we don't follow all those things, but the principles are still there. And we can draw from the old and we can draw from the new because every single word of this book is inspired by God and there for a reason. It's important, okay? Last part. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get wisdom and do these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother called Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they with us? So where does he get all these things? and they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So it's interesting, you guys who have been in Murfreesboro long enough, you remember when David Price got signed to the majors, right? I remember when David Price got signed. I remember when he signed the largest baseball contract in the history of the MLB for pitchers, right? It's the highest paid pitcher in the history of baseball. And he's a Murfreesboro boy, right? It's cool. And so, you know, like we have the David Price Park. I live on that side of town. It's just kind of cool. There's a David Price Park and David Price, you know, he went to Blackman. How cool is that? So Jesus goes back to his hometown, much like if David Price walked into his hometown, like we celebrate. That's our hometown guy, right? 
Jesus goes back to his small hometown, very small, 1,500 people hometown. And instead of them receiving him and being like, yes, the savior of humanity is from our hometown. They were his harshest skeptics, right? They're the most skeptical of him. And it says that they were astonished by him. Listen, this is so fascinating. They were astonished at Jesus, not because of his wisdom, not because of him doing miraculous things. They were astonished because he was the son of a carpenter. They were astonished because they're like scratching their heads going, don't we know his sisters and brothers, right? He's from this podunk town, right? And he's doing all these things. And here's the thing. They rejected Jesus because Jesus didn't come the way that they would have preferred that he came. Even in the face of evidence, right? Jesus doesn't dress the way I want him to dress or speak the way I want him to speak. And what that showed is the people in Jesus' hometown valued appearance more than they valued substance. And is that not the United States of America? Even in Christianity, right? We have all these pastors, right? Their, their jeans are spray painted on. They got the right look. You know, they're super cool. They got their $3,000 shoes on. They're looking all awesome. They speak all this like cool lingo and they're culturally relevant and there is no substance coming out of their mouth whatsoever. And we love them when we're like, that was great. And I'm like, he didn't say anything, right? <laughs> but in our culture, we value the look more than we care about the substance behind it. That's why no one teaches the Bible anymore, right? So we would rather say some catchy things and throw out a couple of hook lines and, and have something cool and trendy versus going back to the word of God, the thing that changes our life, right? Is it more about appearance? Is it more about substance? Here's what's crazy though, is after looking at Jesus and, and, and even though he did miraculous things and said wise things, he didn't look the way that they wanted him to look. And so what happened is, is their self-centeredness clashed with the truth. And here's the thing, and this is the same thing in our culture today. We are so self-centered that what happens when truth meets our self-centeredness is we don't humble ourselves and say we were wrong. We just get angry and we hit somebody, right? You ever done that with someone that was, that, that's been a friend? You, you, you approach them with a truth. Hey dude, like, you're cheating on your wife and that isn't cool and you gotta stop or it's gonna ruin your life. And they shove you. How dare you? You judgmental person. How dare you? And they push you back and call you names and unfriend you and never speak to you again. Because when we become so self-centered, even in the face of truth, we lean on offense. There is a spirit of offense right now in our culture an evil spirit of offense. We get offended by everything. It's not enough that we can just be adults and agree to disagree, right? We have to hate each other. We have to get into a fight over it. One person can hold up their sign with their ideals, right? I have the, I have the right to do this. Someone on the other side of the street can hold up a sign with exactly opposite ideals, but they don't have the right to do that because I don't like their ideals. So I'm gonna go kick them, punch them, rip apart their sign, it's craziness. It's lunacy. And here's the thing is Christianity has fallen into it too. I'm going to hurt some of your feelings right now. Starbucks comes out with a red cup, but because it doesn't say Merry Christmas, I'm never drinking coffee again, right? Is that not a little nuts? You guys know Starbucks is not a Christian corporation, right? Disney puts out a movie and there's something in it you don't like and you're like, that's it for us. Never touching anything Disney again. 
Really, so you're gonna deprive your kids of Tron because of that one movie. <laughs> That's wrong. That's wrong. You 40 and up are like, yeah, Tron. That's right. So Christians, we need to be careful. There's a book called Bait of Satan. You guys should read it. It's about the spirit of offense, right? We need to stop getting so offended by everything. Let me tell you something interesting real quick. Do I got enough time? I do. So Paul even talks about this, right? He talks about the Home Depots and the Starbucks, and he doesn't mention them by name. He talks about other kind of marketplaces, but it's the same premise. Paul is talking to Christians, and he says, all these Christians were coming up saying, hey, all the meat in the marketplace was sacrificed to idols. Can we eat it? And Paul says, yes. None of those idols exist. There's no other God except the true God. You gotta eat. Go buy food and eat it. He's saying, don't get so offended. Don't get so caught up in it. Just because the CEO of Home Depot did something you doesn't like doesn't mean you can't go there and buy stuff you need for your home. There's a lot of people you may be sitting around that work at Home Depot and I want them to still have a job. There's a lot of baristas at Starbucks that come to this church. Guys, we need to balance it a little bit, right? We need to just like chill out a little bit, not get so hyper offended. And listen, here's the bottom line. We cannot expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Let me tell you a better idea. Go buy a cup of coffee, get to know the person that made it, and eventually you can build a relationship with them and invite them to church. How about that's better than just saying, I hate you, right? And I'm really partial to Starbucks, so that just kind of came out a little bit. And so verse 58 is kind of sad. If you go to the end of this part that I just read, Jesus looked and he said, I'm not going to do much in my own hometown because they don't want me to. He could have, but there's this recurring theme that we end this chapter on, and it's a desire to want to have Jesus touch your life. Jesus could have saved everyone in that little town. He could have healed everyone in that little town, but they didn't want it. And Jesus is not going to force himself on people. It boils down to, do we want to know God? Do we want to be touched by God? So let's go backwards a little bit, okay? The first thing is this, guys. As hard as it is, as confusing as it is, there will be evil in this life until Jesus Christ comes back. It will always be here. So what do we do with evil, guys? What do we do? First one is, is we do not partake in it. A Christian does not partake. The Bible even says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? None, right? We don't mess with it. Paul said, should we sin more so grace can abound? No, 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 no. Can't tell you how many Christians I've had say, well, grace. No, no, no. Grace is not willingly sinning and God just being like, I don't see that. That's not grace. It's not grace. In fact, Bonhoeffer called that cheap grace. So what do we do with evil? One, we do not partake in it. Two, we get to know people who are drowning in evil and we do everything we can to pull them out. Everything we can to show them light. That's what we're called to do with evil. Now, guys, it is hard to recognize evil right now in our culture. Why? And I'm not trying to just bash churches today. A lot of churches, big denominations, don't even teach what is right and wrong anymore. So it is confusing. It's hard for the average person to recognize this is evil, this is good. So what do we do? You know I'm going to say it. The first one is, is we have to read this book. 
It will tell you what is right and what is wrong. Not only do we need to read this book, Jesus has given us two gifts of the Holy Spirit that are very, very helpful. One is the gift of wisdom, which the Bible says if we pray for wisdom, he will always give it to us and more than we have asked for. That's what the Bible says. So all of us should be praying for wisdom, the gift of wisdom. God has also given us the gift of discernment. So we have the word, we have wisdom, and we have discernment. That's how we know to distinguish good from evil. We also need to know this. All evil will be dealt with. Will it be dealt with next week? Probably not. But at the end of the age, Jesus is going to look at all who have done evil, and he's going to hold them accountable. I guarantee it, right? We may not see it in our lifetime, and there is a part of us, even if you go into the book of Revelation, the saints who have been martyred are saying, Jesus, when? When? And Jesus says, it's coming. It's coming. There's going to come a time where all evil will be held accountable. Like the leaven in the bread, everyone in this room, I don't care what you're addicted to. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what mistakes you've made. I don't care if you don't have a dad in your life. I don't care what it is. If you will allow the Holy Spirit to get inside of you, it will change you and it will use you to be something powerful for God's kingdom. I don't care who you are. And I am so sick of Christians' excuses, right? Well, Corey, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what happened to me, unless you've been in next class. You don't know what's happened to me. But God can take any of us and redeem us and justify us, sanctify us, and use us. He can do it with any of us. But if God is going to do that with us, we must be willing to give it all. Let me just, let me, let me put the rubber on the road for a second. That means, young man, if you're dating a girl that's not a Christian, the Bible says not to do that. And if they don't have a desire to have a relationship with Jesus, you have to be willing to give that up. If you're having sex outside of marriage right now, not saying you don't love the person, not saying you're not attracted to the person, but it's the improper time and you have to be willing to pause that until that passion can appropriately be used, right? Song of Solomon talks about that, that there's an appropriate time for passion and it's not before marriage. I can't tell you how many people have left this church because I've said those words, right? I didn't write those, I didn't write those rules. I can't tell you how many people have left this church. We have to be willing to give it all up, right? Our hopes, our dreams, everything. We must also continue to invest good things into our storeroom, right? Jesus said what comes in through the eye can contaminate the entire body. It matters what you watch. It matters what you listen to. And again, guys, I'm not like a prude. My kids know who the Ramones are. We listen to them in the car, right? So I'm not a prude. Man, I'll tell you what, that's how you know you're a good dad. When you're watching a movie and there's like a Ramones song and your seven-year-old goes, Dad, the Ramones, and I'm like, that's right, I've done a good job. Anyways, so we must continue to invest good things into our storehouse of truth because if we don't, we have nothing good that we can pull out. Nothing good can come out of us. Here comes the hard part, guys. If Jesus Christ was rejected in his own hometown, we cannot be shocked when we are rejected. Jesus even says, they're gonna hate you because they hated me first and I'm inside you, right? The reason why the world hates us as individuals is not necessarily because us as individuals, it's because what we represent. We represent a Jesus, right? 
We represent a, a savior that the world nailed to a cross. We must be careful though not to be so easily offended. That's why Jesus said, pray for those that persecute you, love those that hate you. That's why he said that. So we gotta be careful not to be too offended, right? We gotta be careful what we put on our social media. We need to be careful how we treat our waiter or waitress. We need to be careful what we say to people. We need to be careful to have self-control and patience when we're out in the world because we represent something bigger than just ourselves. We represent the kingdom of God, but we're gonna be rejected at times. Christianity will never be the coolest thing on planet earth. Never will be, never has, never will be. There will always be rejection. And here's the last thing, guys, and I'm gonna tell you, I got a couple of minutes, I got two minutes. If you are in this room, and, and listen from me, I have, I have very much experience on this. If you are in this room and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, a disciple, we are all called to make disciples. That means we go out, we build relationships, we introduce the gospel to people, we hold people accountable as they hold us accountable, we build these things up, we make disciples. That's what we're all called to do, be disciple makers, all of us. Now, let me tell you about disciple making. It'll break your heart a million times over. People will hurt you. People will deceive you. People will lie to you. You will give everything to people. And they will take that. And it won't be, what have you done for me? It'll be, what have you done for me lately? And they'll leave. You'll be stabbed in the back a million times. It is painful and it is discouraging. Right now, brothers, sisters, it is hard to love humanity. Maybe I'm the only one that feels like that. I cannot watch the news. I cannot go through a Facebook feed. I can't do any of it. I can't tell you how many times I've stood on the stage and said, do not do these things. This is a sin that will distance you from God. And people nod their head and they walk right out the door and do it. Thousands, th tens of thousands maybe over the years, right? When things are normal, we have almost 6,000 people in our churches, but, but that means probably another 60,000 have filtered in and out because eventually the scripture said something they didn't like and they took off, right? Trying to make disciples will be painful and discouraging, but we cannot stop loving people. We cannot stop sharing the good news. It is the only message that will change people. It is it. And here's the thing, guys. We cannot divorce a love of God and a love of people. Jesus said, how can you love a God you can't see if you can't even love people that you can see? Jesus said the sum of this entire book is clarified in two simple statements, and you guys know them. Love God, and the second one is very similar. Love your neighbor. And these two things cannot be divorced. They're always married. A love of God and a love of humanity. Even the worst. Even the worst of humanity. Right? That we are called to pray for those that persecute us and love those that hate us. What radical words. What radical words. You cannot stop loving humanity. You cannot stop throwing the net out. You cannot stop going out and getting to know people. Listen, here's the trick. We are not called to isolate ourselves from the world, right? We are called to insulate ourselves so we can go out into the darkness and be the light. And the Bible says that nothing, no darkness can overcome the light. So it's not that we're to be afraid of the world. <laughs> Jesus says, I've already overcome the world, right? 
but we are to insulate ourselves with the Holy Spirit, go out into that darkness and share the light. Would you bow your heads with me? If you are in this room and maybe you're not a believer or maybe you're on the fence or maybe you have questions, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Isaac's up here. He's our discipleship pastor. If you wanna come up and talk to Isaac, please feel free. On the right and left, we also have men and women that if you need prayer for anything, they would love to pray for you. So if you wanna come up and maybe it's something physical or financial or spiritual, whatever, it can be anything. Come up and let one of these men or women pray for you, okay? The last thing is you should have got communion when you walk through the doors. It's a little bit different than how we normally do it. Now, let me tell you what that is and, and kind of what's required to take that. What it is, is it represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the wine, right? The body and the blood. That represents that God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you, that our sins can be forgiven, that the Holy Spirit of God can live in us. But to take that, we have to ask God to forgive us of our sins. Not only do we have to be believers, we have to ask God if there's any unrepentant sin in your heart, all you have to do is say, God, forgive me for this. You can be forgiven. You can take communion, okay? Father, Lord, I love you. God, I love this church. <sighs> Lord, maybe it's for me, but God, I, I need a love for people to be restored in my heart, Lord. Lord, as we go back out into a very confused, broken, dark world, we need the light. It's the only thing that's gonna save. It's the only thing that's gonna change. It's the only thing that's gonna help marriages. It's the only thing that's gonna help families. It's the only thing that's gonna help politics and, and, and economies and culture, God. So Lord, you have called us to be the catalyst, the light. Lord, insulate us with the Holy Spirit. Let us go out, God, and Lord, let us be beacons of light. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Bless all my brothers and sisters in this room until we meet again. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.